Hello again. Uh, how's the sound in the back? I can't even see the people in the back. because So I, I wouldn't even know. It's good. Okay. If it's not, if for any of you at any point, let me know. Okay. I want you to be able to hear me. Um, you can wave or get up and dance. or just, Actually, that might be confusing. I might not know what that's about. So maybe give me a signal. I'm going to start tonight by pulling out my phone. This is the new mudra that we all do. Um, I'm, I'm actually just, I'm not going to look up, you know, what are the Four Noble Truths. I could do that. Uh, I'm just going to pull up a photograph that I took in San Francisco the other day in the, in the BART station. I thought it was funny. Uh, it's a sign that's, I don't know if it's Muni or Muni sign. The word mindfulness is like in the culture now, in a, in a new way, and often in weird ways, and in slightly or very confused ways. This might be an example of that. So I'll, I'll describe it for you because you can't see it. Uh, there's a, a picture of a guy getting off a muni train, or it's actually the gender is not obvious. Uh, getting off the muni train, and there's like a, a car approaching very close. And so it looks kind of looks like he's about to step in the way of the car. And then there's, there are words above it, and it says, it's never too late to be to, and then it says, and then there's an underline, and, and it's written in, be mindful. It's never too late to be mindful. But in this photograph, it actually looks like it, there is a, it could be too late to be mindful. <laughs> in fact, it really looks like it is too late to be mindful for this person. So, that's confusing. Okay. I kind of, what are they trying to say? They're trying to say, pay attention when you're getting off the train. Right. Yeah. So, that, in a way, it's kind of, you know, sometimes it's mindfulness, like in the popular discourse now, it just means like, it can mean so many different things. Paying attention, being aware, being thoughtful, you know, these are all good things to do and be. But some of the depth of what the, this kind of, the word mindfulness is pointing to can get lost in some of these kind of uh, pop ideas. Mindfulness is an English word, but it's it comes out of a you know a Pali tradition, and the word sati is a Pali word, and it's 
pointing to something much more profound than just feeling a little calmer or being a little more aware. Which are things that people want. Right? There's a lot of people in this room. Right? What does uh, Spirit Rock have to offer? Well, uh, people are looking for relief. In the meditation instructions, at a certain point I said, can you see what the word breathing is pointing to in terms of actual experience and be in touch with that? Did you hear that? Some of you probably did and some of you probably didn't because, well, there's a lot happening when you're meditating, right? Am I the only one who has a lot of thoughts when I'm meditating? <laughs> Come on, make me feel like I'm in good company. Yeah. So maybe you heard that, maybe you didn't. But that little instruction was a pointer to kind of um, awareness that's before thinking, or the awareness that's functioning underneath thinking. So the being able to label things and name things is very, very useful. I'm glad we can do that. Being in the story mode, which we're in almost all the time, just our thinking about stuff, our labeling, is very deadening. Mindfulness is an awareness that's allow, it's what, what's allowing us to actually take in the sense impressions right here. Yeah. Usually we, we label it breathing and then we forget about it. It's like, oh, there's the breathing. Here I am breathing. And sometimes that word becomes a barrier to intimacy. There's my, there's you, my brother, my sister, my partner, my friend. There's my, you, my wife, my husband. And it's very good to know that conceptually, right? You can't just go taking strangers to be that, I, hope, I don't think. But so often the labels take over and we lose in the intimacy with what is here. There's an obstructing, yeah? Which is being, I call it kind of encased in thought or encased in concepts. So awareness is the underlying, I also pointed to this in the instruction, is the underlying feature of all experience. In a way, you could say, you are your awareness is the underlying feature of all your experience. Everything that happens in your life is happening in awareness. Even when you call yourself not conscious, 
You say, oh, I was aware, I was not aware. But you were experiencing when you were not aware, weren't you? Okay. You don't just fall down or walk into people. Now, this is actually important. I'm going to go through a little sequence here. So this intimate awareness is foundational to all experience. All your positive, happy experiences, all of your unhappy experiences, all the pleasant and unpleasant, all the various emotions you felt in your life, all the things that you are happening in your awareness. This awareness is here all the time. It's like the ground of your experience. Why is this important? Say, yeah, I know that. That's obvious. Well, for one, there's the losing touch with the living quality of life which is just endemic to our society. Yeah. You look around, it doesn't, people don't seem that often open and alive. Yeah. This is a deadening quality of just, oh yeah, here's the day, I know what it is. I know, you know, and, and that has a cumulative effect. A lot of times I think people one reason people come to this kind of practice is they want to live. Sometimes it's a recognition that I haven't lived, that's been a while. And I haven't been here. I just kind of sense that I haven't really been here. Anybody relate to that feeling? I'm here, but I don't feel like I'm really here. Yeah. When, when it's really thick, you don't even notice that. It's when you wake up and you notice I haven't really been here, that's already sort of awake. Right? That's ahead of the game. So I think that's one reason why this awareness level that's not just encased in thought. The thought of the breath is boring. Often people say like, oh, the breath is boring. You know, I'm supposed to pay attention to that. Yes, because we want you to be bored. That's a joke. We choose to pay attention to the breathing, for example, because we're going to learn how to pay attention. We're going to learn how to be aware with something that's happening right now and all the time. And what do we discover slowly, gradually? We discover that the quality of the experience depends on the quality of the attending. Isn't that always true? You could be with the most interesting person in the world, and if you are not interested, you're not paying attention, there's nothing happening there. You could be with, I notice this in a daily way, be with your child and not be paying attention. If somebody asked me, I'd say, this child is the most, this is the most important person in my life. And yet, I notice how easy it is to kind of go out of intimacy when we have a practice, we start to notice this when we go out of this kind of presence and we can come back. 
without a practice, we don't come back. Yeah? For a while, until we happen to. Circumstances kind of... You know, which happens occasionally. We get very present due to the conditions. And that feels like being alive. And some of us fly planes or jump off... I know people like this. Jump off buildings and do crazy shit to feel alive. <laughs> it's reasonable, you know? So like, And yet, there's a way that slowing down, actually, and dropping into this awareness that's always present. The thoughts don't interfere with it even. They only interfere when we're only seeing through them. There you are. Yeah, I'm labeling. There's, here it is, spirit rock. That's the mind move that happens. Yeah? Here I am giving the talk. You know, there's so-and-so. I'm saying like, not important. Yeah, I already know. So this is one reason why this people, I think, long for some kind of presence. Oh, I'm using presence and awareness interchangeably. So one of the things we're doing in this practice is one, learning how to be here for a second and to connect with something that's actually happening, just that's ordinary, like the breathing. And this is how we learn how to connect in this kind of way. We learn it with the breathing, but then we can do it with each other, right? Like, oh, how about that? Right? How, about, how about we connect for a second? Without, so we're cultivating that capacity, you know, to connect, whoa, to feel it, you know, to be here. So this is one thing. Now, the steadiness of being here is also something that's really at play for people, right? Usually we're just, you know, we're here for a second and then we're off. So we have a practice where we cultivate being here again and again and again. When we go off into our mind worlds, we call the future, we call the past, and they're not the future and they're not the past. Yeah. And we call the present, but they're just our stories about the present. We call me, but it's just the story of, of me happening here. We come out of that again and again. We start to watch it, notice it come up. And then this present awareness, what I'm calling awareness, gets more steady. And yeah, we're starting to reside here in this intimate way with what's arising in our own bodies. The feelings, the emotions arising here, yeah? Okay. So, I'm going to, I want to have time for us to talk to each other, so I'm going to give the kicker early, okay? The kicker is this. This awareness is the underlying aspect of all our experience. Usually we don't notice it because we're so dwelling in the content of what's arising. We're so caught up in that, you know, what you're saying, who's coming, what am I getting, what am I losing? How's it going to be? Is it going to be? How will it be? Right? We're so caught up in the content. You know? Is it pleasant? Is it unpleasant? We're so caught up in the content that we don't notice that there's something steady here through it all. And what's steady is this underlying awareness. It's 
that in which all of the things that are happening are happening. Usually what's happening in here, we think, is just me, right? I'm the sum total of what's happening in here. When the awareness gets steady, what do we notice? Everything that's happening in here is happening in awareness in the same way that everything that's happening out there is happening in awareness. So what are you? Usually we're just so identified with what's happening in here. These are my thoughts. Oh, I wish I had better thoughts. I'm so critical of myself. How come I'm so critical? I wish I could like think about, have a great idea. How, when am I going to have a, you know, we're so identified with what we happen to be thinking. That's me. I'm the sum total of my thoughts. Or of my feelings, you know. It's like, I'm so, I'm such an, you know, we're so identified with the content that we don't see and we can't rest in just what's here all the time which is, what I'm going to posit is, it's closer to what you really are. So there's a case of mistaken identity here. We're taking ourselves to be all of this content that's arising moment by moment and changing moment by moment. We don't see it, including what's happening in here, until we become mindful, aware in a stable way. When we become aware in a stable way, we can watch, you can watch what you're thinking as opposed to just believe it. To me, that was one of the most interesting things when I came to meditative practice. Are you telling me that if I get my mind a little bit still, I can watch how my thoughts are creating the universe I live in? And the answer I knew was yes. That, I was hooked. That just was the most interesting thing I could think of, right? So like, um, after realizing that, I'm going to be like, ah, whatever. What should we do? (laughs) No. So that's, that's amazing to me that we actually, without doing anything super fancy, we can cultivate enough stability of attention to see how you're shaping the world through what you think, and how you are creating a sense of who you are out of what you, your stories and beliefs. When we can see that in a steady way, we start to settle back into something much more primary than this conditioned in there, fairly, very repetitive content. If that's what you are, sorry, that's disappointing. That would be disappointing, right? That's why we all feel disappointed. Really? This is it? This is who I am? Even if it's kind of great, even if you like it, it's sort of like limited, fairly limited. And it's only when we're, and we all experience this randomly, when we're not locked into some kind of sense of identity or role, there's a great flexibility in being. Right? You're not trying to define yourself in a complete way. Because you're beyond definition. You're something much more vast than that. I'm telling you. Because we don't have much time. But what it, the real invitation is to look for yourself. That's why we have all these practices. Yeah. I'm positing 
that you are something much vaster than you think. And the big obstacle for everyone is that it just feels like there's not much worth, it's not worth looking in here. It's the biggest obstacle. So the whole premise of Buddha Dharma is that you're the Buddha, basically. But you don't know it. We are the Buddha, but we don't know it until we look. We are taking ourselves to be what we are not. And then we feel very, very limited. And there's a a fair degree of dis-ease in that. Now, you know, correcting this to some degree uh, doesn't solve all the world's problems. But that's a big shift. Paradoxically, when you don't think that you are the content of what's arising, you can actually be with it more fully. Yeah. It's okay to be with your frustration or your rage or your anger. It's okay to be with your judging thoughts because you're not identified with them. This is paradoxical, but it's true. Hmm? So we say mindfulness and we think it's paying attention. And in the beginning, it is, it is, right? There's something attending to what's arising. What is that? There's something here that's knowing the sound of my voice. What is that? There's something here that's allowing you to see what is that. And it's not your eyes. Yeah, it's your eyes too. But that something is here even if you close your eyes. Hearing's appearing then. And if you close your ears, the body's appearing. And if, as somebody said to me recently, because I guess this is a thing in San Francisco now, there's this great sensory deprivation tank you could go to. <laughs> and, you know, my response is, dude, I meditate. You know, I don't need to go to a tank, you know. It's like, I don't say it like that necessarily. <laughs> but sometimes when the mind is very quiet, it's like the body actually falls away experientially. So there's a sense of the body. And, and when the mind is quiet then, so sometimes then there's just mental content. Like in those tanks, sometimes people just get a lot of really wild mental content, right? Because there's not much else happening. But even if the, when the mind is quiet, there's no content, there's still something here. I'm just telling you that, but you can invite you to go down the layers. You could do what I am now going to call Cat Stevens inquiry. If I ever lose my eyes, if I ever lose my... Well, he didn't say ears, but anyway. Legs, if I ever lose my... You could do that inquiry. What's left? Something. Within that something, this whole world is appearing. It's like this whole room is appearing in your awareness. Isn't it? Is it appearing outside of your awareness to you? No. So what does that mean about you? You go up on the hills there and you look out. All that vast territory is appearing to you. In you. Uh, how do you like you now? You know? So usually we like, 
we just identify with a very, very small dimension of the content that's arising. Mostly like these things. And, you know, some of the actions here. So that's me. And it's, uh, it's just, it's wrong. It's inaccurate. It's what the Buddha would call, can I say that? Is that taking too many liberties? <laughs> I just want to check myself at that. But it's what I think the Buddha would call delusion. So there's this, you know, to me, the interesting meditative inquiry is let's look and see what is really happening in here. What am I really? Who am I really? The meditative cultivation part is important because usually we're so scattered and so caught up in habit that we don't have any internal stability. Without stability of awareness, it's hard to see anything. Yeah? People long for that. They long to be not so scattered. So here's the good news. You don't have to be scattered. You can gather. You can gather in your scattered and it just takes some, a little practice, some cultivating, coming back here. Yeah? Where are we scattered? Well, it's just funny because if somebody were to look at you outside and be like, hey, I'm so scattered. Like, well, you look like you always do to me. Right? It's, it's funny because we're scattered is like a mental state. But from the outside, it's, like, it's not like you're spread thin. You're just spread thin mentally. Isn't that right? I mean, do you ever see somebody and they're actually spread over a large territory? <laughs> I'm feeling so scattered. I'd be like, yeah, dude, your elbow's over there. and you're... But it feels that way. It's because our minds are in so many different places. 20 years into the future, all the way back to third grade when all my problems really began. Right? That's a lot of territory to be spread over. Yeah, no wonder we feel a little like, you know? So we're kind of gathering, we practice gathering the attention just back in the body. Can we come back to being here? Yeah? Gathering back. So we go away into the future. You're not going anywhere, buddy. It's not actually going anywhere. It's just virtual travel. You know? And then you you don't have to come back. You're already here. Just be like, hey, that's just appearing, right? But this starts to develop a stability of being here. When we're here, we can see the future arise right here, which is where the future happens. I sent my first real tweet recently. And I have all these, I don't know, I have a bunch of followers on Twitter, but I don't, I don't know how. I hadn't really tweeted anything. <laughs> I don't know how Twitter works. It's like a mystery to me. But I tweeted something. I had this kind of, I really, something I feel, the future is a thought in your mind. I thought, that's a good tweet. I'm going to tweet that. So I tweeted it, and only one person responded. (laughs) So again, I don't know how the whole thing works, but I thought, this is going to change the world. Everybody's going to realize, this is true. Future is, is a thought in your mind. After I tweeted it, I realized, people could take that a lot of different ways. But anyway... But the future, that's where it is. It's not anywhere. 
There, it's not out there ahead of you. The future only exists as thoughts in your mind right now. Things will move and change, and then we'll be in the future. But that won't be the future. That will be the present. Because this is where it's all happening. Always. When we can gather our attention and learn how to be here. We learn it by just being here again and again. Yeah? When I'm washing my hands, can I wash my hands? I said that during break. When I'm talking, can I just be talking? And then I get off somewhere and I come back. So I'm learning how to be here. When I'm hitting a baseball, I don't play baseball. So you can, those of you who play baseball can tell. Hitting baseball, I'm just like, can I be here while I'm hitting? Yeah. My three-and-a-half-year-old's going to be a great baseball player, I can tell. See? Future. Yeah. <laughs> He's good at hitting now. Uh, so it's happening right here, but without the gathered, we don't see it. We don't see it for what it is. And notice how your thought, literally in a moment, shapes your experience. Yeah? You know, I'll just make something up right now. Everybody's loving what I'm saying. It's so profound. You know? How do you like me? Who am I now? Right? I'm like, this isn't making sense to anybody. You know, I'm getting a whole bunch of blank stares. You know, it's like everybody's comparing me to Jack Cornfield. You know, how am I ever going to measure up? Right? So this is just a different reality. Just so, and that kind of thing is happening all all the time for humans. Right? When you're believing it, it shapes you. When you're seeing it, it doesn't have to. You can, you can be the space in which those things happen. Oh, you know, it's like sometimes I literally experience a thought that used to just grab me and wrap me up. And it's literally like somebody saying, it doesn't have any effect, you know. And usually I was like, oh, you know, everything's going to fall apart. That was one of my favorite ones. No matter how well things are going, it's like, oh, it's all going to just fall apart and turn to a disaster, and I'm going to be alone and friendless, you know, and I'm going to die in the gutter. And I'm not, actually not exaggerating. <laughs> That's a habit of mind that I can trace back early. You know? And often happen when things just a little bit start to go not the way that I had wanted. Like a little bit. And what's interesting to me now, and I'm saying this because I want to illustrate this for you, I've seen that pattern so many times. The stability of awareness has been incredibly corrective. Because if you don't have a place to kind of abide, it's hard to, it's almost like the, you don't have any ground to stand on when the waves come. Or, is that a right good metaphor? Anyway, it's like having one foot on solid ground, abiding in awareness. Yeah? But, you know, that pattern still arises. It's very interesting, but I'm hip to it. You know, it does not catch me almost at all. And occasionally, I'll get a little, it'll hook the corner, you know, but almost at all. You know, there are other things I'm not free from, so I'm not saying I'm free from everything, but, but it's just a simple example, you know, where it's like, 
the disaster scenario. Maybe that's part of my uh, Eastern European Jewish heritage, right? There were a lot of disaster scenarios from my, I, you know, I grew up with stories about them. So maybe it's like genetically wired in there, who knows? But, uh, or just taken in. But it's just very interesting. So I remember how that thought would shape the whole thing. So let's develop some stability. Let's have a, a nice foothold in the unconditioned. <coughs> That's a metaphor that makes no sense, but somehow intuitively it, it makes sense. Yeah, nice foothold in the unconditioned. Then we can paradoxically be much more fully present with this whole show. Yeah, when I don't have to anchor my well-being or my sense of identity in what's happening, I can par- I can actually be here. I can be here much more fully with all of the comings and goings, all the change, the getting what I want and the not getting what I want, which there's a fair bit of. The pleasure and the pain, the gain and the loss, the praise and the blame. When we're just anchored in the conditions of what's happening, it's like, it's got to be praise, baby, because the other is just so painful. And sometimes I actually don't know how people do it without a practice without some abiding in something that's not coming and going moment by moment, in something that doesn't need the future to be fulfilled. Because this awareness, this presence that we are, which is what I would say mindfulness is, it's already complete. You can't find the edges of it. It can't be improved upon, no matter how much you meditate. And it can't be damaged or destroyed. It's not partial. It's not in the realm of the partial. And it's here just in a moment of paying attention. So even if we're not in touch with it in this vast way, it's both what one of my early teachers used to call the immediate and the ultimate. So it's great to have a word like mindfulness, this lucid awareness, which is knowing what's arising and, be, and knowing that we're knowing, or knowing in the knowing. Yeah? It's different than just being present. You know, it's being present and having choice. My three-and-a-half-year-old is present, He's much more present than a lot of us. But I don't want you all to become like him, because that wouldn't be good for the world or your relationships. You know, I want it the way I want it. That's not what we're cultivating. That's being fully present. He's like totally wrapped in what's happening. That's appropriate for that age. But, but lucid awareness is different. It's fully present and yet aware with what's arising. So when I'm frustrated, I'm aware that frustration's happening here. It's very different than being this. Yeah, It's like... Hmm? It doesn't have to change the whole picture. And then sometimes you're caught in that. It's like this. You can be aware at the same time. Oh, this frustration's like this. There's like choice in it, right? Here I am frustrated. Am I going to say that thing? Yep. It's going to go badly, I know it. 
Am I still going to do it? Yep. You know, and then I'm aware with that process. That's when the pattern has like more of a hold of you than awareness does, <laughs> which happens depending on the event, depending on the conditions of the moment, depending on how tired you are, right? That's when the condition has a grip on you. But be aware through the whole thing, because then you'll be learning within it, right? Usually we're not learning from our experience because we're not, we stop being present in it. We don't experience the consequence yeah, in real time. It's like, it's kind of like, we're, am I going to say the thing? Yep, I'm going to say it. Am I saying the thing? Yep, it's coming out of my mouth. And then it's sort of like, You know, I don't want to see. And then a little later, it's sort of like, well, I'm glad that's over. <laughs> now, let's do the next thing. So anyway, but let's stay aware through the whole process, whether we're f- aware in a way that lets us be free or aware in a way that lets us see how unfree we are. Okay. So those are some thoughts. Uh, reflections. What, what time, I always forget, what time do we end? Do we end at 9? 9.15. Okay, so let's dialogue with each other a little bit. I'm, you know, if you have questions about what I've said or questions about practice or questions about your own practice or questions about the meaning of life, let's skip the last category. Thank you. And so we have a mic. So let's just start here and we'll move our way back. Thank you. Um, You did make a comment about... um, the content of our mind, mm-hmm. and that we tend to define ourselves through the content of our mind rather than just the awareness of ourselves. And I find that I'm able to go into the awareness and out of the content, mm-hmm. but those around me are not comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. What are they not comfortable with? So, for example, if I'm painting a canvas... Mm-hmm. And I don't know what I'm painting. Yeah. I'm just in the moment. I'm just yeah. experiencing it. And they want to know, well, what are you painting? Are you going yeah. to sell that? Or do you right. display here? Are you in this gallery? Yeah. They d- I just want to be. Yeah. But that happens. A lot. Is that the race consciousness that is trying to put that definition around you? Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, that happens. Uh, and yeah, you're right. You're the painting. Right? Yes. And you're the painting. And everybody was like, well, well, hey, what are you doing? Who are you? Tell me who you are. How do I? And yeah, that's what we have to contend with. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) What's what's a good response? Just say, I'm not painting, I'm just in the moment? or No, there's no adequate response. You're not going to make anybody understand. You have to bear it. But not put yourself in their box. You know, you have to be unconventional within the conventional. Right? That's conventional. That's People want to know. Sometimes. That's it's hard, hard a lot do. of the time. It's hard. This this stuff will not make your life easier. No. No, I'm just saying. It's an important point. You know, sometimes you think, "Oh, I'll just get calmer, I'll get more coherent and and I'll be I'll be I'll make better decisions and I'll be more charming." You know, everybody will sort of feel how present I am and they'll respond better to me. A lot of people have this idea, you know, and they, they kind of miss the part of like, 
and then I'll see that I'm not who I think I am, and then who will I be, and I'll go through this transition period where like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing, and all the things that I habitually did and thought were like, what I'm doing, now I just like, is that what I'm supposed to be doing? Now I don't know who I am. And then you're like, what are you doing with your life? And I say, how am I supposed to answer that? I don't have any experience with this. But yeah, that's, I'm joking. Oh, oh. Yeah. But yeah, that's the way it is. Everybody's wanting to do that, to box each other in. And, it's, and that's our challenge, is how do we live in a world where everybody's working with those kinds of definitions, even for you, even the people close to you, and not box ourselves in by other people's definings. And that's a challenge. I actually don't have like an answer for that, you know, like how to do it. But we have to. We have to find it in our way to be able to interface. And sometimes that involves not be, you know, having, the, having to bear the experience of not being seen, not being understood, which is a hard thing to bear, even though it's happening all the time. Do you mean hiding out? No. no. What do you mean not being seen? I mean not being like understood. Like somebody not understanding your inner experience. They might not. You know, some people will. You can explain what's happening. Some people say like, hey, I'm in a period where I don't want to define what I'm painting. Some people will be like, I totally get it. <laughs> you know? And some people will be inspired by that. You know, sometimes, have you ever met that person at the party or been that person at the party? People are like, what are you doing? Be like, you know, I'm actually not doing anything. <laughs> and somebody else is like, oh my God, that's so refreshing. <laughs> you know, there will be those people. They're here. In this room, maybe. <laughs> Some of them, yeah. So, so, yeah. But you also have to be, you know, it doesn't mean you, you kind of push everybody else away who's, you know. So, like, you can still be present with them even if they don't get what you're doing, you know. It, it's hard to be in transition. How do you explain that to anybody? You know, it's hard to not want to be, yeah. So that's the thing. It's like, how do you live without inner defining, even as you have outer roles? We're not talking about getting rid of all your roles. You can be the father or the mother or the, you know, the, the, you know, the CEO or the, you know, the, the intern under supervision. You can be in your role, but how do you be in your roles? We have many roles. You know, we take those as our identity, as who we are. How do you be in your roles but not be your roles? You know, it's like, in this role, I say certain things, but in other conditions, I'm not in this role, and I don't act like this. If I start talking like this on the street, people think I'm crazy. <laughs> Here, people listen. That's a condition. If I start talking this way at home, my wife would be like, what are you doing? <laughs> so anyway, I'm just saying that, like, so that's our challenge, is how do we be... Yeah, and not in definition, even in a world where other people are constantly doing that. Again, that's, I'm asking it back as a question. I don't have an answer. We have, but, we, but that's, our, that's our practice. Is that Thank satisfactory? Well that, well, that helps to, to know that you're verifying this because yeah. it's a real challenge in a lot of areas. It's a real challenge. People want a box. They want a definition. They, they want do. an age. They want a number. They want to, you know, know. They don't, they're not comfortable if it's just sort of floating. It's so boring, isn't it? <laughs> They want that, but then as soon as they get it, they're not interested. <laughs> right? I just, just tell me how to put you in a box, and then I can stop paying attention yes, to you. Yes, 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 yes. You know? That's exactly. the paradox of it. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, we had it in, the, in, in there in the blue shirt in there. Uh, a little earlier, you mentioned uh, <clears throat> you, you asked a rhetorical question about mm -hmm. uh, uh, how can we live better, mm -hmm. uh, get more uh, out of the experience of living, mm. and I I I want to put that as because what we mean by living is how in fact do we experience the world, mm. and. Uh, so that would be a fair question to ask. And I think in, with regard to that, we, one of the things we can not cheat ourselves out of is the subjective experience of mm. not our ego, but our being here, the event yeah. of our being here. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I'm going to try and keep this simple. If, if, and this is, uh, I'm going to take a page out of Krishnamurti's book called You Are the World. You're welcome to always take a page out of Krishnamurti's book. Thank you. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> good, good, good. So you watch a sunset, you know, up at Stinson Beach, and it's beautiful, mm -hmm. right? And, oh, God, it's beautiful. You say a lot of things about it. We have objective experiences about it, as though the sun, you know, needed to be complimented. Mm -hmm. And obviously it doesn't. So what I think we have lost and what we have to reclaim is uh, the subjectivity of our lives. Mm -hmm. And we can't be afraid to say it is about us. But when I say that, it's not about our ego. Yeah. It is about the experience that we have all the time. It is us. So if you experience the sunset as being beautiful, ask yourself this. What does it feel like to be beautiful? Because you just experienced something, and you said it was beautiful, which means you must have some capacity for understanding or, uh, you know, uh, getting what beauty is. We walk away from experiences usually having given half of them away. And if you want to live better, then you have to experience life more fully. And by that, I do not mean jumping out of airplanes are doing somersaults when you're 91 years old. We are equipped, we are equipped to feel life deeply and we have a place that we can go to. It's not our ego, it's our very lives. The event of our being is always going on. I think it's time we trusted that more. No, no disagreement here. Good, thank you for... Thank you for letting me say that. Yeah, yeah, no, no disagreement here. Yeah. And I think the, the only place where sometimes we kind of, um, even that can, and I know you didn't mean it this way, that can even sound, like you said, sound selfish almost, is, that, is the idea that, say, yeah, you are the underlying aspect of all this experience, right? But... But usually we think, oh, me, I am. So that sounds selfish. But it's underlying this whole thing. And usually, and that's where a deep empathy comes. Because we're not actually just in here. Yeah, in a way, you're the, you're the 
sum total of all of these bodies and minds in a way. Yeah. So that that you that is 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 very vast, and that you know when we're in that awareness, we just can't do certain things to each other. You know, we're so good at cherishing our own physical safety, but we're in that kind of awareness. We we can't help but cherish other people's physical integrity. You know, we're not that good at you know kind of seeing our own thought contact with compassion or our own emotions with kind of compassion and understanding. But when we can, and we're in this kind of awareness, we can see other people's with that kind of compassion. Some of you may be better at seeing other people's with compassion than your own. Some of you might be vice versa. But this is why this can be so transformative, this kind of practice, because it transforms our experience of what we call me, but it also transforms the experience of what we call you know, y- you, yeah. me, you. That's like my favorite short poem by Muhammad Ali. Have you heard it? He was speaking at some college, and uh, I think I read this. This is my memory, so I could be wrong, but in my memory, I read this in the in Norton anthology of some Norton anthology, and it was like the shortest poem, and somebody said. Give us a poem. You know how he used to make poems about his fights and stuff? And he said, Me? We. That's pretty good. But, you know, and I don't know what, where that was coming from in him, but what is this? What's this place where the, the me has its integrity, yeah? But it's not so separate. It's not in awareness. It's just not. Anyway, yeah, in the back over there. You know, I always love to ask questions when Spirit Rock has an opportunity for us to talk because I'm surrounded by people who are mostly strangers, but they are my spiritual strangers, and it's a safe place for me with spiritual strangers. I had an experience yesterday I wanted to share um, I was invited to a, a party. My children have a friend. They, the couple comes from Kazakhstan, and they don't speak a whole lot of English. And I had in my mind what this party was going to be like. Oh, there won't be pizza from um, Round Table. They'll have really good culture. I want culture. And this expectation it's just an example of having an expectation of how it was going to be and i was right the food was really interesting a lot of eggplants and interesting things no one spoke english and no one tried to say who could speak english a couple people no one tried to include me mm-hmm. and it was interesting to see where my mind went to mm-hmm. you know how I just had a lot of judgment. I just bring it up that being a party of one to my own mind, it's so interesting what happens. I never know who's going to show up in the conversation in my head <laughs> that I expect it's going to look one way, the food's going to be good, they're going to be cult- cultural, we're all going to be talking to each other. Let's all be cultural. You know, I, I wanted that because I like the culture, and I was excluded. No one tried, 
and I tried a couple times, and then they kind of went back to the wave, back to themselves. Uh-huh. And it's just interesting that we have pictures in our mind of what we think something's going to be. Like I expect my children are going to be enlightened beings because I've done my spiritual work. Good They're luck. not. Yeah, that's right. You know, yeah. it's like everything is the experience mm-hmm. is what shows up no matter what the picture is in my mind. That's a good, so let's all take that in, you know? Yeah, that's, that's a hard one to get, like to really get, you know? That's such a gift you could give your children if you could not put that on them, that they're supposed to be something because you meditate, you know, that they have to be anything. That's a gift, you know, that they don't have to be anything to prove anything to you. And I think that's, that's, that's huge. And a lot of times I feel that way. I'm kind of practicing for the benefit of other beings, you know, the people who we're in contact with, whether they're our partners or our friends or our children or the people who have to work with us or what have you. Yeah, Yeah, over here. So following up on that comment, what do you tell your children when you go home at night? What did you do at work, Daddy? Well, my older son is 15, so he's been here. You know, I teach in front of like lots and lots of people. He's the only person I get nervous in front of, <laughs> like really nervous. Whenever he comes to something, I'm like, oh, I really, I, it's really gives me empathy for like fathers. I never thought about like my thought that my father might care what I thought. But it's like, I really care. I cared when he came here and he was 10, you know, my stepson. When he came and he was 10, I was like, I want him to, (laughs) I don't care what you all think. No, I mean, I do care, but. So what do I tell them I do? You know, my my younger son, I think, thinks that meditation means daddy's away. (laughs) I think when I say teaching meditation means daddy's away. I don't know what he thinks, but he sees me, you know, he sees me meditate, so I don't think he just thinks that. I don't try to explain it. You know, one of the gifts that I feel like my, you know, my father's a meditation teacher and a meditator, and one of the gifts that I feel like he gave me was never trying to interest me in the stuff. I'm very grateful, grateful for that. <laughs> I, I didn't really have to, I wasn't interested in it particularly growing up, but I never had to do that thing of like, get me, out, get me away from this stuff. You know, I never had that really aversive thing, which I probably would have if he'd been like, you know what you should do? You should. (laughs) But, you know, with children, and I say this a lot, I really feel like we teach with our being. It's true. That's the, you know, we learn. So that's the way to, to, to kind of affect each other. We affect each other like that when we're not teaching most of the time. And the most of what I think people get, even from coming to groups like this, is just like a feeling, you know? Not a feeling of feeling good, it's like a sense of something, a sense of what it is to be present, you know, a sense. And this isn't, you know, sometimes you leave with specific information that you remember that helps you tap into that, you know? But, but especially with children, it's like, 
they just are imitation machines. They're not machines, but they will imitate everything. You know, it's like I'll do something and I'll see it mirrored. It's a good lesson for me. Then I'm like, whoop, better not do that again. You know? Like I'll have to just say something's weird and my three and a half are like, that's weird, that's weird. That's like, I don't want him saying that's weird so much. That's a little weird. So <laughs> I'll just lay off that word <laughs> for a bit. You know? Yeah. I kind of had a nice kind of. Anybody else? Everybody's fully enlightened. That's what I like. Mission accomplished. Yeah. No, I'm joking. But, um, you know, it's fun to gather together and to talk about these things. It's good to be reminded. It's good for me in teaching. It's one of the powerful things about teaching is just being in touch with, in my view, what's true, you know, and, and hearing it, hearing myself say it. So these kinds of reminders are very important. You know, we don't often let ourselves, we don't often take the time to contemplate what is actually important. What is really important to me in this life? You know, sometimes we do that at particular times. You know, it's like something big happens or doesn't happen, and we contemplate. Some things really often things don't go well. Sometimes we contemplate. You know, but that's a really worthy question of asking. You don't have infinite time. None of us do. What is worthy of your attending, of your attention? I would hope that part of it is here. And it's not something that just happens in a way by itself. It requires desire. That sounds very un-Buddhist, but it's not. It requires desire. It requires will. Not will like our usual will, like forcing engagement, interest. It requires, you know, following something, a thread. And that's the piece that I feel like one of the pieces, aside from just hearing stuff like that in our culture that's missing, we don't have a practice culture. We have an instant culture, an instant gratification culture, except in other, in certain areas where we don't. Right? Anything involved with technology, we don't have instant gratification. We like, well, people spend many, many hours. I know I work with some technology people and companies. It's like amazing amount of mind power and sustained attention and in making mistakes and refining and going again, amazing amount of energy going into creating the future. And it's having tremendous impact. So we have tremendous impact when we want to, when we're motivated. I want to encourage you, even if you're doing powerful, important things in the world, which I'm happy that you're doing, to apply some of that same earnestness, attention to what's here. Because that will also help transform this world. And in a way, I think, 
Yeah, that's, that's really important because you are the ground, you know, in a way of saying this awareness is the ground of all experience, but you're the one who will be using all this stuff in the future. Right? You're not going to have a... I was just having a conversation with today. He was telling me everybody's trying to make a mindful app. I don't know what a mindful app is. I could imagine mindful people. Maybe an app that helps people be mindful. But it's you, right, who's going to be using all this stuff. So let's turn some of that, that, that real energy this way. And let's transform the world together. Well, let's just sit for a minute or two and dedicate the merit. May we all continue to look deeply into our own hearts and minds. And may we see things, meet things as they are. And may this clear and sustained knowing free us for the benefit of all beings. Thank you all. Keep up. I don't know. Keep the awareness going. <laughs> Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.